This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning, it's John Moore. This is The Breakfast Wrap for Wednesday, April 5th. The weather forecast, a pretty unsteady day. Cloudy showers, maybe a thunderstorm. It's going to be windy and there will be a significant amount of rain. The high today, 15 degrees. Here are the five things you need to know. Number one, a growing list of mayoral candidates are prioritizing safety and especially on the TTC. Number two, a pet dog dies from the bird flu. Number three, Galen Weston gets a raise. Number four, food bank usage soars. And number five, an embittered Donald Trump punches back after his indictment. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. 508 on a Wednesday morning, 6 degrees. And certainly one of the things you need to know today is that we're going to be getting some weather. I was going back and forth on text with meteorologist Bill Coulter over at CP24, and he said, listen, it's not going to be epic or anything, but it could end up being unpleasant. We're talking rain and wind. A lovely temperature of 15 degrees, so that's something we can anticipate. But still, it looks like it's going to be a fairly wet day, which kind of brings me back to wondering why the city was so quick to open the golf courses yesterday. I have to say I had sort of a Jerry Agar moment where I thought, you know, you're opening something that is now on the city's ticket. And yes, if you look at the record, actually, the golf courses are turning a profit for the city. So let's not get too excited about it. But I would say they're 10 days to two weeks ahead of schedule and they're gonna have to staff up. And I know, I was watching on um, the local news last night on CTV and there were people out playing golf, but I hope they brought a pair of shoes they were ready to throw away because it's still muddy and messy and cold and people were, were wearing toques. I'm just not that golfer. So that's today's weather. And uh, Ashley was saying things get better on Friday, but we're in for a couple of days. So I want to frame things very carefully. I was on Jerry Agar's show yesterday, immediately after it happened. I'm not some sort of, you know, traumatized crime victim who now has to go into therapy for uh, TDS, uh, I was going to say TDSB, (laughs) for uh, post-PTSD, post-traumatic stress That's a whole other therapy section. Yeah, but I I went to school in Montreal, so I don't suffer from TDSB trauma. Um, But, you know, I had my brush yesterday, as I've had over the last couple of months, just making my way between the garage and the office before the show and after the show. Uh, But yesterday, I had an encounter on the uh, TTC that left me somewhat wary to get back on the TTC. And the thing was, I had taken the car over to Active Green and Ross, and so I was going to have to get back on the TTC to get back to it because I didn't want to take an Uber in... um, you know, rush hour traffic. My return trip was on, you know, eventful. But yeah, very quickly, what happened yesterday, and this, when I put it on Twitter, just erupted into a firestorm that ultimately my phone rings and I look at it and it's unidentified number and it's the premier. I haven't spoken with Doug Ford since he was elected premier. Yesterday he called me just because there was a tweet about an unfortunate encounter on the TTC. But here are the broad strokes. 
Uh, first of all, I think it's notable that I was at Active Green and Ross, and they are on Carlton Street. So I have to walk to the college subway, which means walking west and north. First corner I get to, there is a guy doing some kind of a dance and yelling at a police officer who's on uh, duty defending or what, you know, supervising a construction site. I get to college subway going down the stairs. There's somebody who is not necessarily collapsed, but sort of rolled out against the staircase, uh, another homeless person. But when I got to the subway, situate yourself for a second, I get to where we have the rows of turnstiles, and they're not even turnstiles anymore, whatever they are, gates. And there are probably five TTC workers. None of them appear to be security guards. So they're just, you know, TTC workers. And they're engaging a guy who at the moment, he seems agitated, but at the moment seems to be fairly calm. And one of them is on a walkie-talkie, I guess, probably asking either for Toronto Police Service or TTC Security Service to come and remove the guy from the station. So I think, all right, I guess he's been contained. Tap my card, the gate opens, all of a sudden this guy comes whirling around with his fist in the air, charging toward me. I back up. The TTC workers, and I want to give them all the praise they deserve, all run toward me and you know one of them says you know just back up to back up back up back up and then the, this guy who was coming at me rears back so we're still on opposite sides of the gates he's inside the station i'm outside the station or you know out, uh, we're on the plaza but i'm outside the gates he then goes toward gates which open as an exit and now we're about to be in the same space i tap my card course it's already been tapped right so it doesn't work and as he comes toward me again uh, one of the TTC workers ran up toward the gate and I don't know I guess there's some sort of a magic button but he presses something and the gate opens and I escape to the inside of the plaza gates close the guy can't come after any of us anymore like I said I'm not you know this is not my what is the frequency Kenneth moment it's just another unfortunate encounter on the TTC and in our city. And when I wrote about this yesterday on Twitter, I had a few people say, oh, so now it happens to you. You're making a big fuss about it. No, if you've been listening for the last year, I have been talking about how things are not working in this city. And again, don't come at me and say, well, you never held John Tory to account. John Tory and I had many a conversation on and off the air about how things in this city weren't working. And so this is just me having uh, a, a personal encounter with something that Torontonians are dealing with on a regular basis. And the number of people I talk to who say they just simply don't want to get on the TTC that they don't want to come, you know, people from other municipalities who don't want to come into Toronto anymore. This city has a major problem. One of the other calls I took yesterday was Brad Bradford, who's running for city councillor. And he yesterday, coincidentally, made safety on the TTC one of his platform items. Although I have to say the pitch about installing barriers along the edge of subway platforms, it's a lovely idea, but it's a billion dollars. So, you know, with apologies to Brad Bradford, who I quite like, and uh, 
who I think has an interesting platform and certainly pitching the idea of more security on the TTC, great. Subway platforms, I'm not in. It's, or not platforms. <laughs> platforms are a pretty good idea in a subway station. <laughs> it's the barriers I'm not signing in for. Let's say good morning to News Talk 1010's John Moore for what Toronto is talking about. John, good to see you today. Happy uh, Wednesday, by the way. Uh, let's start with this. Two workers taken to hospital after carbon monoxide uh, poisoning. A call was made to a home in North York. Apparently, this home was being renovated. Yeah, this is a home in North York, as you said, that was being renovated. I have to imagine perhaps there was some you know, piece of equipment, maybe a generator or something else that was creating this carbon monoxide, but two men were overcome by it. They have been rushed to hospital in critical condition. Mm, okay, let's hope they make a fast recovery. And we saw the Toronto Zoo do this uh, with their aviary exhibit a while ago, just a few weeks ago, and now we're learning that uh, someone's pet dog has died after contracting avian influenza or uh, a bird flu in Ontario, this after allegedly chewing on a goose. What a sad story. Yeah, this is a dog in Oshawa who apparently contracted the infection, chewing on a dead wild goose. The avian flu has been mostly confined to birds up until now, but now we learn, obviously, that you know, pets are at risk. There has never been a recorded case uh, here anyway of a human contracting the avian flu from any infected animals. But I think this is a sort of a cautionary tale mm -hmm. where if you have a dog, keep them on a leash and make sure that they don't end up interacting with birds. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So we know that the mayoral candidates uh, have made it official, some of them, and we're learning more about what they're campaigning on. So for Brad Bradford, uh, installing subway platform doors is part of his plan to increase safety on the TDC. It's interesting, yesterday I had an unfortunate encounter on the TTC mm. where somebody charged at me in the college oh station. Gosh. Brad Bradford heard about that on Twitter and called me and said, you know, coincidentally I'm announcing my platform today, part of it, which is going to be about safety on the TTC. That includes increased patrols and, you know, security, but also he wants to install subway uh, barriers. So it would be a bit like when you get on the express, the up express to mm -hmm. Pearson Airport and there's glass and doors and when the train arrives the doors open. Uh, the downside of this is the previous estimate, if we were to do this in every existing subway station, the cost would be about a billion dollars. Wow. So it don't come cheap. No, it doesn't. And we already see some of this in the subway systems in Hong Kong. I know they have that there as well. Uh, John, I'm sorry to hear about your incident. I'm glad you're okay, though. Uh, scary stuff. Okay. And uh, turning to this now, Loblaw board, board members say that Galen Weston is actually underpaid and they have boosted his compensation. I'm very curious about uh, what exact dollar figure we're talking about here. How tone deaf could the board of directors be to decide that Galen Weston, who's worth apparently about $14.2 billion, oh um, is underpaid? Uh, he got a $1.2 million raise in 2022, bringing his total compensation to $11.79 million. $11 million. And all of this came, you know, this news anyway, comes on the day where we learn that the use of food banks has soared to record levels in the Toronto area. So so it just, if you make yourself 
the face of your brand as Galen Weston has, then you also have to face the fact that mm. there's going to be blowback when things aren't going very well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think they call it read the room. Um, and we will be chatting with Megan Nichols, yeah. the CEO of Mississauga Food Bank, on our show at 7.10 a.m. this morning to find out what's happening there. All right, let's turn to this uh, history-making moment in New York and pretty much all of the world. Donald Trump, though, pleading not guilty to 34 criminal charges yesterday in Manhattan. What an extraordinary day, full of drama, full of uh, comic moments. I don't know if you've seen on social media a guy dressed as the shaman from the January 6th insurrection who mm. hit a bump while he was riding a bike and ended up falling face first on the pavement. But it was just ridiculous. And then you get to Donald Trump, former president of the United States, perhaps a future president of the United States, being led into the courtroom. He said fewer than a dozen words, pleaded not guilty, went home to Mar-a-Lago, mm -hmm. uh, delivered a somewhat embittered address about the whole circumstance. But this this is not even the first act of what is probably going to be a five-act drama. Mm, yes, and the courts and officials will be watching very closely uh, to what he says, making sure that what you know he, he does at speeches doesn't cause any more insurrections. All right, okay, we'll be following that closely. News Talk 1010's John Moore. Catch him from 5.07 a.m. to 9 a.m. Have a great show, John. We'll talk to you tomorrow. That is Jennifer Sheng, our friend over at CP24. And, yeah, we're not going to dwell forever on the whole Tr Donald Trump affair. However, I mean, it is the ex-president of the United States. It is a guy who's running for president of the United States. Even at the very least, if you're not interested in the political aspects of this story, it's Donald Trump reality television show star. I mean, if it was one of the real housewives, we'd probably end up talking about it. Um, do we have anything from Donald Trump? Yeah, we do. Because uh, he went home to Mar-a-Lago, kind of a sad place. It's very um, Xanadu. You know, it's, it's sort of like Citizen Kane. He's holed up in a private club where apparently he actually has a very small apartment. And what he does at night is he comes out and walks through the dining room and waits for people to admire him. And let's go with 36, actually. Says, never thought this could happen in America. What? A known grifter charged with crimes? I never thought anything like this could happen in America. Never thought it could happen. The only crime that I have committed is to fearlessly defend our nation from those who seek to destroy it. Okay. Um, you know, it's funny. He did in that clip this thing that uh, one of many Donald Trump impersonators does. Uh, Howard Stern has a really fun Donald Trump impersonator, and he repeats himself. Never thought it could happen. Never thought it could happen. I never thought anything like this could happen in America. Never thought it could happen. <laughs> uh, so there you go. And at the risk of sounding too gleeful in all of this, I mean, never a more defective person has risen to a higher profile than Donald Trump. Um, a grifter, a serial cheater, a liar. So let's keep moving because we got stuff to get to, including, remember that guy? And, you know, he may have fallen on his sword for his wife and his two kids, but that guy who, speaking of grifters, stole money from the Ontario government, yeah, he's going to jail for a good long time. You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. There's a grim riff to start your day with. All right, it's a good one. I like it. Toronto's turned into the eight mile. <laughs>
There you go. Well, apparently it has. Just hearing from Joe Warmington uh, over at the Toronto Sun, and he's offering that the guy who lunged at me yesterday at the college subway station is probably back there today. If not there, then he's probably around there. And yeah, yesterday it was, and the way I'm trying to frame this is, it's not, oh my goodness, it happened to me. Um, this is what Torontonians in general are facing on a daily basis. It's why they're looking over their shoulders. It's why they're afraid of the TTC. Uh, I think it was Ashley Legasic saying, in our morning meeting today, and she and I'll chat after one of her newscasts this morning, but she's got a baby. And Joe, am I remembering this correctly? Her baby's turning one today? Okay. Ding, ding, ding. Happy birthday. Um, she wouldn't take her baby on the TTC, and I don't think that she is alone in that. And so coming from the uh, tire shop, and it's like, you know, four blocks in downtown Toronto, one guy, um, very, very unstable on a street corner. Another guy sitting on the stairs. Another guy who is attacking TTC workers at College Station. When I finally got on the system, I go up to St. Clair and I get out. And there's another guy doing like karate chops on the street corner. And I just, I, I, I don't know what the fix is, but we need a fix. And if they were able to pull this off in New York City, then we can pull it off here. But at the moment, there are a lot of very, and, and you know, all compassion to them, but there are a lot of very, very unstable people out there, and they are a threat to public safety. And when it comes to things like we've had this ongoing debate here, because a lot of activists claim that people should be allowed to camp out in public parks. And they have said this is the, the sort of Commonwealth theory of the commons, that this is land that belongs to everybody, therefore people should be allowed to live on it. And sorry for all the good that a lot of these people do, who are activists for homelessness and for mental health and all of that stuff. Um, I just don't believe that the way in which we are currently sharing our public space, that this is, is tolerable. And that's not because, you know, well, good and decent citizens come out of their homes and shouldn't encounter the homeless. No, mothers should be allowed and fathers, parents should be allowed to take their kids to a public park and not worry about their safety. Torontonians and visitors should be able to get onto the TTC without having to run for their lives. Uh, we should be able to walk through the downtown and to live our daily lives and commerce and all of this stuff is, you know, every we're supposed to have some sort of a normal life in the downtown rather than it being like an episode of... Now, Nick, I'm forgetting the name of the show. What's the name of the show where people go through an obstacle race and they bounce on giant rubber balls and, and use trapezes and all that stuff? <laughs> Even Nick's looking at me like, what? American Gladiators? I don't think it's Gladiators. Okay, I'll look it up because I actually auditioned for the Canadian version of it and I said I wasn't entertaining enough. Um, not to compete, to to be the narrator. Um, but anyway, it's, yeah, it's this thing where people just go through an obstacle course. It shouldn't be like that if you just want to go to the Eaton Center and get a cable for your cell phone. It's 5.39, and did you find it? I believe it's America Ninja Warrior. America Ninja Warrior? That might be it. 
That's not the one with the giant rubber balls, though, where people have to jump from one ball to the next. Okay. You know what? I know that somebody out there knows what I'm talking. Wipeout. That's it. I think it's Wipeout. Thank you. Somebody, uh, I always lean very heavily on the collective knowledge of everybody who's listening at any given time. And if I can't come up with um, something like a name, which is on a regular basis, somebody will say, I think this is who you're talking about. Okay, so let's plow through a couple of other things you want to know about today. Robert Benzie writing in the Toronto Star, that uh, bureaucrat Sanjay Madan, he rigged a system where he was giving COVID payouts to people, but he was skimming. And boy, did he skim, because apparently he stole $47.4 million from the provincial government. I always think, not that I'm giving you any advice here, but if I was in a position to cheat some sort of system, then I would keep it at about like, I don't know, $200 a week and nobody would ever notice. There's a famous story actually about uh, a diamond mine and this guy would arrive with his wheelbarrow every day at the exit to the mine at the end of day and they would go through everything to make sure that he wasn't stealing diamonds. And it turns out he was stealing wheelbarrows. And so, yeah, if, if you were, if you could figure out a way, $47.4 million, somebody's going to find that. You know, the Auditor General is going to go, there's some money missing here. If you were stealing $10,000 a year, nobody would notice. Anyway, uh, he is going to jail for 10 years, which frankly, Jerry can probably uh, inform this story because I think some murderers have gone to jail for less than 10 years. Um, but apparently he is going to have to figure out a way to pay back the money. A lot of people think that he agreed to this in order to save his wife and possibly his two sons who were also suspected of being in on the scam. It's not known from the coverage I'm looking at here if they are still facing some form of um, prosecution. So on the very day that we start talking about Galen Weston getting a raise because the board of directors held a meeting and of all their many priorities in running the Weston family companies, they decided Galen Weston is underpaid. And at the same time, we're talking about that story. We also have a press conference where Neil Hetherington from the Daily Bread Food Bank says that food bank usage has hit a 40 year high. It says in March, Daily Bread saw 270,000 visits across its programs and partners, the highest in its 40-year history. And Joe, yesterday you were on your way home on a bike, and you went past a food kitchen where there was a lineup around the block? A Fort York uh, food bank on College Street near Kensington Market, and it was a full block long line to get in. I have a hard time wrapping my head around this. I guess this is about inflation. This is about affordability because the, on the flip side of things, we have, we are like 50 years of uh, being at the lowest um, unemployment rate. You know, the, the economy has been on a tear, but we're living in a very oddball economy. There's a word I would apply that describes a psychiatric disorder that we're no longer allowed to use. But there is a disconnect with how the economy is on a tear, and yet so many people are in precarious situations. Uh, part of that is about interest rates. Uh, part of that is about inflation, and in particular, food inflation. But actually, I was looking at some figures the other day, and in many sectors, 
wage increases, wage inflation is actually outstripping inflation itself. But yeah, Neil Hetherington saying that food bank usage is at a record level since they began keeping records. And Nick, you can run number 25. He talks about how they're turning to the provincial government for assistance. We are requesting, we are demanding, we are asking the province to come together and to provide the same emergency assistance that was provided to every single person on social assistance throughout the pandemic now. While food, while food inflation is north of 10%, we need the Ontario government to come together and provide these payments immediately. All right, so now looking to the province, as is pretty well everybody, including the city of Toronto. And um, I don't know, it's, it's all part of, like I said, this disconnect in the economy where things are going remarkably well and yet everybody's looking for a handout. So what could possibly threaten the Broadway show Hamilton in Toronto this time? I'll tell you in a sec. Subscribe today and always hear the latest episode of The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. All right, so let's dig a little deeper into some of these stories. I mentioned Hamilton. How sad would it be if they had to suspend the presentation of Hamilton in Toronto? Because I'll tell you, not only do I absolutely love this show, I've seen it as a movie twice, I've seen it live twice, uh, and the particular production that is in Toronto right now, I think is the finest I have seen. I mean, I guess I should yield to the original composition with Lin-Manuel Miranda and others, but the show in Toronto, I went to the opening, I guess three or four weeks ago, and I just had the most amazing time. And it's quite something to sit through a show you've seen previously and still enjoy it. I mean, I get it. If you're going to watch Hamlet, it's like, okay, yeah, yeah. When do we get to the sword fight? Um, but, you know, um, it's a great show. But here's the problem. There is a dispute with actors' equity, between actors' equity and producers in the U.S. Um, actors' equity represents stage managers and actors in live entertainment. And they have all kinds of issues that we don't need to dig into because I don't think we're that heavily invested in what their labor dispute is, except that if they go on strike, and I think 90% of members voted that they're willing to strike, then that is going to shut down Broadway. It's going to shut down any production that is on tour from the United States. So obviously Hamilton is one of those. And um, it would be sad to see that happen because Hamilton opened in February of 2020, and the Mervishes were ready to run it for months and months and months. Everybody loved it. The reviews were ecstatic. It was fantastic. And then, you know, we ended up in the maelstrom of COVID. And ultimately, they not only suspended it, but they finally decided, much like Come From Away, to shut the whole thing down. And so now it comes back, and it's recently been extended Looking forward to meeting some of the cast members, as a matter of fact, because um, the Mervish people called me the other day and said, uh, listen, we're extending it. It's going to run all through summer. Would you like to meet some of the actors? I think, yeah, that'd be fun. Uh, but now we're menaced by the possibility of a dispute that could shut the whole thing down. Uh, High Park. I can't keep track of this debate anymore because... Maybe it's just because the working papers keep coming back and they're full of proposals like shut the whole place down to cars all the time. Um, now what they're proposing is one day a week. I think it's Sunday 
it would be car-free. And they're also proposing the idea of a sports cycling pilot. It's a very popular place for um, cyclists who tend to be not just sort of, you know, riding around Mary Poppins style and looking at stuff. It, there are, you know, there's a whole population of people who aggressively cycle. I'm sure you've seen them in their tight pants on Saturday and Sunday mornings. And High Park is popular because it's got these dedicated uh, roads and there's some drop and climb. And, you know, the more competitively inclined cyclists like to climb hills. Me, not so much. I remember when I was doing the Ride to Conquer Cancer, and I think it was climbing out of Dundas. Is it Dundas? Yeah, the municipality near Hamilton, which is in a very low uh, point vis-a-vis -vis the escarpment. And on Sunday morning, you'd have to get up and climb a hill. And it was one hell of a hill to climb. And you get to the top and your heart is pounding and you're gasping for air. And then some other cyclist would go down the hill and do it again in a great flourish. It's like, really? Really? And then they go past you with a great big smile. It's like, all right, fine. Uh, but back to this particular configuration, which would propose that we have a dedicated time very early in the morning, um, probably on the weekends, where cyclists would kind of have the run of the park. I do like that in Ben Spurs' coverage in the Toronto Star, he talks to a woman in her 80s who calls it elitist not to allow cars and to favor bikes. I'm not sure it's all that elitist to favor something that costs 750 bucks over something that costs $35,000. Uh, but what she points to is she's older, she's 83 years old, and she'd like to be able to drive to the park and then to go for her walks. Um, I would just point to Central Park, where, yes, owing to the fact that it cuts such a large swath through Manhattan, there are roadways through Central Park, but you can't actually drive in the park itself. And we had an interesting discussion on the show a couple of weeks ago, I guess, where people were pointing out that in order to get to the pool or to the tennis courts or to a few other amenities in High Park, it's a long schlep by foot. So they wanted to be able to drive in. Um, and I, I'd consider that debatable. I'm not about to be all categorical about things. But I also think, you know, figure a way out. Um, you know, if you have mobility issues, then there may be some way to have assistance. But it doesn't mean that when people are out looking at the beautiful blossoms, which I don't think have popped yet, all of you in, um, in High Park neighborhood, you can let me know when the um, cherry trees do blossom. But you shouldn't have to be constantly moving yourself to the side of the road to let a car go by when you're just off to look at the blossoms. Speaking of people in public parks, I love this story just because... I, I like stories about, you know, eccentric things and eccentric people. And we'll probably talk about this on the roundtable this morning. This is in Kingsville. And a man dressed up as the Easter Bunny and went into a public park where he was posing for pictures with children and giving them uh, goodie bags with notebooks and pencils. He says he was just trying to make people smile and spread holiday cheer. Well, he's really upset because the police finally uh, asked him what the heck he was up to. And at one point, they made him take his, 
his head, <laughs> his Easter bunny head off. <laughs> and he's upset because he thinks that might have traumatized some children. Okay, listen, if you've ever seen pictures of Easter bunnies, I don't know that I've ever seen an Easter bunny who does not look terrifying. And there are a host of pictures on the internet from many years ago when people used to go, I don't know, do they still and sit on the knee of the Easter bunny the way they sit on Santa Claus's knee? And they are mortifying. They, I mean, honestly, I, I would put them next to those pictures from the 19th century where they pose dead bodies. It is just disturbing. And I, I'm sure this guy was full of good intentions. But if you're going to dress up as the Easter Bunny on, you know, in the first week of April and hit a park and give gifts to children, I understand why the police might pull you over. That is The Breakfast Wrap. Thanks for listening. My name is John Moore. I hope we'll talk again soon. You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.